0: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Infrastructure, infrastructure,
1: infrastructure infrastructure week. It's infrastructure week on Today Explained. On Monday, we talked about politics. On Tuesday, we talked about trains. And today, we're going to talk about toilets.
2: I'm Chelsea Wald. I'm a science writer and the author of a new book called Pipe Dreams, The Urgent Global Quest to Transform the Toilet.
1: Chelsea has traveled the world trying to understand toilets, and she says the sewage system in the United States is total crap.
2: The American Society of Civil Engineers has given U.S. wastewater infrastructure a D+, um, which is a pretty low grade.
1: And there was only one way to find out how we ended up with that grade. We had to flush ourselves. Ah!
2: The water will come out with the flush of the basin and, and go into the Um, toilet bowl and push us out through the pipes and down into the sewer where we get added to all of the wastewater that's coming out of the house. All of that goes to the same place into the sewer pipe that the house is connected to. And it gets added to all of the wastewater from the houses around you or the other apartments in your building. One of the things that happens is that people flush things that they aren't supposed to flush or they put things down drains that aren't meant to go down the drain. So one of the big problems that many sewer systems are having at the moment, especially older sewer systems, you know, that really can't handle this, is that people are flushing items that are labeled as flushable but actually don't dissolve in the water.
3: Wet ones, moist towelettes. They're convenient because you they pop Johnson up. and
0: Johnson dental floss every day. Nothing gets the plaque between teeth and under drums better.
2: Then I got a hit are so a friend. Play Pet Tampon, she said. What a difference. <sighs> <sighs> What are you
0: doing here? I'm
2: here for her
0: pleasure. For what? Roach and her pleasure condoms. They're new, uniquely engineered to satisfy a woman's anatomical sensitivity.
2: Some of it, you know, you would think is flushable because you flush it and it goes down or even it may even be labeled flushable. And it seems like toilet paper-ish. Well, that will go down and can snag on rough parts on the sewer, which is especially a problem in older sewer systems.
0: Massive buildup of waste is causing a major stink in London's old
1: Victorian sewer.
2: And then that can mix with fats, oils, and grease that people put down the sink. So, say we're in the sewer, and we're flowing by a restaurant district. A place with a lot of fast food joints. And they don't have the grease interceptors that they're supposed to have in their restaurants. And someone just puts this oil from the fryer down the drain. And it goes into the sewer, and it all can start getting mixed up together. It can all kind of start accreting. And and it can turn into a fatberg. Like an iceberg, but made of fats. Me
1: fatberg! Me oil fat plus wet
2: wipes! The wet wipes are part of what kind of binds it together. And a fatberg can have, like, a lot of different consistencies. It can be very, kind of, goopy, or it can actually get really hard like a rock. And it can grow and grow and grow.
1: To break up the chunk that weighs as much as 11 double-decker buses, workers are using high pressure jets and doing the rest by hand.
2: It has to be cleaned out because this actually just becomes an enormous sewer clog. But me like it here! When you have a big sewer clog and the water can't flow through, then you get backups into people's basements or coming out into the street. And that, you know, that's increasingly a problem. It's costing cities tons and tons of money every year.
1: Thames water workers say they clear 80,000 blockages from the system every year at a cost of over a million dollars a month.
2: And that's, of course, costs that get passed on to the ratepayer. So maybe we, we make it past a growing fat bark, Um but then, you know, we'll encounter other discharges along the way. Um, uh, here comes a, a discharge from someone's washing machine. And what we know now is What's coming out of washing machines, uh, along with sort of soap and water, is a lot of microfibers. Those are microplastics, and those um, flow also to the wastewater treatment plant, and um, and then can end up in waterways or back into in the environment um, because the if the wastewater treatment plant isn't able to filter them out. You know, as we flow along, we might encounter an industrial discharge, maybe from a manufacturing plant um, upstream of some kind. You know, they're also allowed, in many cases, to discharge to the sewer. Um, And out of those can come various chemicals, some of them regulated, some of them unregulated, um, of Concern most recently have been the class of chemicals known as PFAS. My full name is per and poly substances. The people who created me in a lab call me PFAS for short. Which are sometimes called forever chemicals. You can find me in stain protectants or nonstick cookware. I keep your clothes sharp and your pans pristine. And those have made it into the sewers. Those are new chemicals, wastewater treatment plant technology isn't designed to handle. That's becoming an increasing headache for, for utilities and troubling for people who are worried about these chemicals in the environment and their effect on human health and on ecosystems. And then, you know, we're floating along. Everything's, you know, kind of okay. We're dissolving <laughs> in the water. And uh, it starts to rain. And This this could be a problem depending on the kind of sewer system we're in. Some sewer systems, um, many of them, especially um, older sewer systems, um, for example, on the East Coast in the U.S., are combined sewer systems. And that means that they combine all this wastewater from households and businesses with stormwater.
0: New York City streets underwater, cascading into subway stations. Drivers stranded on a flooded expressway rescued by a police barrier
2: truck. In
3: Philadelphia, heavy rain... And And
2: even in some places, a little bit of rain can then start to overwhelm the system. And you don't want to do that because if you send too much water to the wastewater treatment plant, it will overwhelm the plant and then it can't do its job. And so these older systems do what they're designed to do, which is discharge some of the extra water that the plant can't handle directly into rivers or local water bodies. And so the sewer starts filling up, we start kind of moving faster and feeling, you know, (laughs) feeling very full. (laughs) And, um, And we get to the pipe that's supposed to take us to the wastewater treatment plant, but you know, this time it's not meant to be, and we're discharged into the river. <laughs> along with all of that other stuff that's traveling with us
1: so it's you me some dental floss some sewage some storm water And some microplastics and some forever chemicals flowing out into the river and eventually some ocean.
2: Yeah, floating away.
1: I got to ask, this doesn't seem ideal. How do we get to the point where this is the best we can do with our toilets and sewage today?
2: I think of toilets as a paradox because... They are kind of miraculous, right? I mean, before toilets, cities were regularly hit with terrible outbreaks of diseases like cholera and typhoid fever. And toilets and the systems that they're attached to helped solve that and create the healthy cities that we live in today. And basically what happened was, roughly speaking, the flush toilet was invented, and, you know, that along with some other developments meant that, that wastewater in cities became a problem, so sewers had to be added to that. And London built kind of this model comprehensive sewer system that then took all of this waste out of the city, and, and other cities followed that lead. In the early 20th century, um, the sort of modern wastewater treatment Technology was developed, which uses microbes to break down sewage and, and, um, you know, kind of clean it and turn it into clean water and a a solid residue. And that's the core technology that still remains today. It's undergone some advances, but we're sort of building on that technology that's more than 100 years old. Because the people who developed this system didn't have some of the challenges of the 21st century in mind. It's not necessarily up for the challenges that we're facing today.
1: How does the American sewage system compare to the sewage systems abroad?
2: I think that many countries are struggling with their sewers. In London, um, they are struggling with these old sewers. I mean, they are the, the capital of fatbergs.
1: The capital of fat <laughs> Well
2: they that's where um the, the Thames flushers which is what they call their sewer workers, they coined the term fatberg, as far as I know.
1: So here it is, the last remaining part of the Whitechapel fatberg, safely encased in not one, but two very thick glass boxes. The oils have been air-dried, so it's almost like a rock now. But in its greasy grip, things like sweetie wrappers are sticking out. It's also hatched its own flies, and no one knows...
2: That being said, I mean, the U.S. is having particular struggles with its wastewater infrastructure due to chronic underfunding, you know, the sewers and the wastewater treatment plants. And a lot of them are reaching the end of their lifespan kind of all at once. And so the infrastructure is, you know, reaching a point where it's often referred to as, as crumbling and failing, and then there's places in the U.S. Um, that haven't really seen any infrastructure where there isn't access to this kind of centralized system or where it's not appropriate, but where people um, are sort of left on their own to fund their own sewage system on their property. And where people can't afford it, they live with raw sewage on their properties in some cases.
1: How do you think... You make people care about this. I mean, people probably care a lot more about the cosmetic aspects of this issue. What their toilet looks like, how it functions, how it makes them feel. And, you know, once that flush happens, no one gives a shit.
2: As soon as people are living in their own sewage, they're really going to start to care. You know, if you start having regular backups of sewage in your basement or sewage on your street, you're going to care. So... Um, The question is, you know, can we make people proactively care about the toilet? Um, and, And right now we're just missing a lot of opportunities to make better use of these systems. Everybody poops. We all use toilets. So if we make toilets better, we can really make everybody's lives better.
1: Quick break, and then we're going to talk about how to make people's lives better and do the planet a solid by fixing toilets and sewers.
0: Support for Today Explained comes from Mint Mobile. Big improvements can make your past behavior look absolutely wild, says Mint Mobile, targeting all of us personally. And Mint Mobile wants to do that with your phone bill. Mint Mobile offers wireless plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, And in retrospect, you might feel a little silly about how much you were paying before. Plus, according to Mint Mobile, all of their plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's biggest 5G network. You can get this new customer offer and your three-month unlimited wireless plan for just $15 a month by going to mintmobile.com slash explained. That's mintmobile.com slash explained. You can cut your wireless bill to $15 a month at mintmobile.com slash explained. $45 upfront payment required. Do the math. That's equivalent to $15 a month. This is for new customers on their first three-month plan only. Speeds are slower above 40 gigabytes on this unlimited plan. And additional taxes, fees, and restrictions do apply. See Mint Mobile for those details.
1: and help you stress less and sell more. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash explained. Go to shopify.com slash explained now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash explained. America's sewage system once saved us, but now it's basically crap. We've got fatbergs and forever chemicals in the stew, stormwater overflowing our systems. We need to fix it, but we've got to be proactive, which is historically tough. Scott Barry's with the U.S. Water Alliance in Washington, D.C. They're all about trying to fix this. And, and Scott, you have hope we can get the job done?
3: John, I, I got to say, I've been doing this a long time, and I think I have more hope now than I have in the last decade. I mean, the attention... That the pandemic has brought to issues around water and wastewater has uh, has really resulted in some like new and and really increased attention um, by folks uh, like the Biden administration and Congress. Uh, and between the, you know, the large COVID relief packages that have already passed and, you know, the potential large infrastructure package that's kind of taking shape right now, uh, things are on the table now that never would have been on the table, uh, like a year and a half ago. Uh, and the dollar amounts that have, that are on the table now, uh, for solutions, uh, would have been like laughable a year and a half ago. Um, so I'm hopeful that like there's this unique political moment right now to affect some real change in the water sector. Hmm. Like the fact that you have folks like the president proposing $111 billion for water infrastructure improvements is is a humongous step in the right direction. And something like uh, my organization and others have been working on for decades. So the Biden administration
1: sounds game to spend a lot of money on these issues. Have they
3: been specific about how they
1: would spend said money?
3: So the Biden administration has definitely been uh, interested in spending a lot of money on this issue, and I know they have. There's some specifics in that, like they want to spend something like 45 billion dollars on like replacing all lead service lines, and then another 56 billion uh, that would be set aside for modernizing water systems, and then another 10 billion on top of that for addressing things like PFAS and and rural water concerns. But even amongst that largest chunk, that that 56 billion for modernizing water systems, there's not a ton of specificity. Uh, In the American Jobs Plan, which is what I'm talking about, about what breakdown between drinking water and wastewater, how that money would get to uh, you know local governments, whether it's through some existing mechanisms that we know, uh, or whether it would be some new kinds of funding, and then all of that gets filtered like a telephone process through Congress, and you know what we're going to end up with may not look a whole lot like what the president proposed earlier this year.
1: Well, it sounds like you've been thinking about this for years. What would you recommend to Congress, to the Biden administration, to tackle? wastewater specifically?
3: If I had the power, I would dramatically expand and diversify a lot of the federal funding for water infrastructure. And I would embed equity in wastewater decision making through the whole process. And then like, I suppose the third thing I would do is really what we need to get serious about climate resiliency in the water sector.
1: And I imagine most people have no idea what you're talking about on any three of those fronts. So Why don't you further explain? So I I think the first thing you said was you would diversify federal funding for water infrastructure.
3: What does that mean? Just diversify who's getting the money? It's both expanding and diversifying, right? So like the gap between what we're spending on water and wastewater infrastructure and what we need to be spending just to keep pace with the requirements and things like the Clean Water Act and the Safe Drinking Water Act, that was about $81 billion in 2019. So that's a gap. And that gap will continue to widen. And as a percentage of all of the spending, the feds have kicked in less and less. You know, know, 40 years ago on wastewater, they were picking up the tab for almost a third uh, of our water projects. And now it's about 4%. Like this has shifted the burden dramatically from funding water uh, or for funding water rather almost entirely to local governments.
1: Hmm. Okay, that seems fair. What about this equity in wastewater decision making? What's that about?
3: It sucks to say it as a water professional, but there are some significant inequities in our water systems in the United States. And policies like redlining that created inequalities above ground, they also exist underground, right? Like the impacts of inadequate wastewater infrastructure from lack of access to in-home plumbing and toilets uh, or sewer systems backing up to things like unswimmable rivers, major flooding impacts. All of those things affect marginalized communities first and worst. And so I think we need to embed more equitable decision-making mechanics into how we approach uh, our water infrastructure. How do we ensure that happens? We first need to prioritize the limited funding we have so that the communities with the greatest need are the ones that get the most attention. Um, That's not always the case. And then I think the third thing you you proposed, developing climate
1: resiliency, probably is the most self-explanatory with all the hurricanes, flooding we're experiencing, we are seeing, what, a lot of wastewater spillage into our bodies of water?
3: I think there's a larger issue, right? Like, we need to stop thinking about climate policy and water policy as totally separate animals, right? Like, climate stress is so often felt as water stress, and climate change uh, makes every problem in the water sector worse. Uh, We need to be equitably planning for these sorts of disasters and improving our post-disaster recovery efforts or thinking about how we mitigate future impacts and what the role of the water sector is. Part of that is involved in the funding thing that I was talking about in my first priority, sort of like investing in resilient water systems, but not foisting the burden of investing in those resilient water systems back entirely on local government, uh, like has been the trend over the last several decades.
1: All of these issues you mentioned, Scott, seem sort of intertwined and hard to tackle in such a big country. We've got places that are dealing with floods, and then we've got others dealing with drought. And on top of that, you know, either one has marginalized communities that might bear the brunt of climate change. Where do we begin?
3: I think this is a big opportunity to potentially rethink how we do water and wastewater systems in this country. A lot of these things are designed for um, the start of urbanization that happened, you know, in the early 1900s. Uh, and I think we need to start imagining different systems, right? Like, I think that that model of, like, deeply centralized um, water and wastewater treatment and distribution works for the majority of the country. And, you know, it worked for a really long time. But there are a lot of communities in this country. You know, there are over 2 million people in this country that do not have uh, regular access to hot and cold water or a toilet. And that's a lot. Uh, And they're in all uh, parts of this country. They're concentrated in pockets.
0: In rural Alabama, the UN's expert on extreme poverty witnessed firsthand what residents have been dealing with for years. Uh, In the Black Belt, in the South. Open pools of raw sewage sit where children play. It's often flushed back into people's homes. And hookworm, a parasite normally found
3: in sub-Saharan Africa, has been reported in shocking numbers. The border colonias along the Texas-Mexico border. So, if
2: there's water flowing here, and it hasn't been raining, then that
3: means that this is basically raw sewage, untreated sewage. Or, uh, you know, in places like the Navajo Nation, where there are some significant water and wastewater kind of infrastructure challenges. In more
1: than a third of the homes, the taps are bone dry. We don't use the sink because there's no running water.
3: Not a drop.
0: There. Yeah.
3: Our preference for these sort of centralized systems. Uh, means that those places oftentimes get left behind because they're really spread out. And so, you know, that would require like a tremendously large system for a very small amount of people. Or they're in places like rural Appalachia, where the tremendous amount of mountains between the different communities would require a huge amount of power and effort to move water and wastewater between these sorts of places to a sort of centralized point. So I think we need to start thinking more about how Uh, We invest in technologies or create priorities for existing technologies that help us decentralize some of these systems or create uh, more water reuse systems or think about what the systems of the 21st century should be rather than continuing to build the systems of the 20th century.
1: Scott Berry is the Director of Policy and Government Affairs at the U.S. Water Alliance. You can explore how they're rethinking our water systems at uswateralliance.org. And if you just can't get enough literature on toilets, be sure to check out Pipe Dreams, the urgent global quest to transform the toilet. That's by my favorite Flush buddy, Chelsea Wald, who you heard from in the first half of the show. Infrastructure Week continues on Today Explained tomorrow. Tell your friends.